Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bowlology Report. It's been uh, a long time between podcasts and the world is a changed place. So hopefully everyone's staying in and isolated and hopefully everyone is safe and uh, hopefully over the next 40 minutes we can give you some uh, entertainment, uh, particularly in the cricket world because there's no two bigger names in the, the cricket industry at the moment than Bradley Hodge, Jason Gillespie, lads, welcome to the Bowlology Report. What what have you boys been up to? Well, I'll go first, Flynn. Thanks. It's been a while. Um, good is to see baggy, you. Is that a baggy green you're wearing? It is. It is, yes. So, look, what, what I've been witnessing, Flem, going through some social media stuff is that there's been a lot of people diving in back into the history of yes. how good they were back in the past. Now, <laughs> there's been no videos of me yet, so I thought I'll just wear my baggy green around the house to remember that I was actually okay back in the day. So this is my this is what I'm going to do for a while. Hopefully Cricket Australia put something on that I did once in my generation, but there's been a Are lot you- of Dino, there's been a lot of Steve War, a lot of Mr. Cricket, a lot of Ponting, not much. No, Hodge. Nothing, no, nothing. Not much. Um, are you doing a bit of Stephen Smith? Are you shadow batting while you got the baggy green on? Can't say I have phlegm, no. Dears, what about yourself, mate? What have you been up to? Well, not too much, phlegm, to be perfectly honest. G'day, Hodgie. Um, look, I've just been um, – I, I had to self-isolate, came back from the UK uh, via Cape Town where Sussex uh, and our county were, were on pre-season tour. Um, so I've had a bit of bit of travel around. Um, had to get back and just got out of uh, two weeks of self isolation. So this is my second day out, which is just lovely. And first time, yeah, you know, seeing the family. They would have been keen to see you. Oh, I've been seeing them because I was lucky enough. I was just staying down the road in my in my mum's house, and uh, so the kids would bring down little bags of, of food and little goodies and stuff. So um, I, I could talk to them over the fence and, and the like. So I got to see the family, but. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it's nice to actually be back in the family house. But generally you were self-isolating. What, what, sort of, what do you get up to when you self-isolate? Um, and remember, we have kids that listen to this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, certainly um, watching a lot of Netflix, uh, you know, that kept me occupied, just keeping in touch with, uh, with family and friends. But uh, there, there really wasn't a lot to do. Keep you up to date with everything that's going on in the world. There's obviously a lot of things. Uh, you know, the world's a very different place for us right now. Um, so obviously keeping up to date with the news and that, but yeah, that, that two weeks, um, yeah, reading, to keep you, look, fit. I saw you were reading a book as, um, you went on to zoom. What, what are you reading? 
oh, just, uh, oh, well, it's as fast bowl as Bible, isn't it? Uh, you know, Dennis Ulley's autobiography. Oh, jeez. Oh, can we, uh, we might get you just to read some of that a little bit later in our, maybe a retro book review, possibly. Hey, boys, it's interesting. And, um, you know, it's so sad what's going on around the world. I mean, it's unprecedented, really, um, in in changing the whole lifestyles around the world. Um, It was just over four weeks ago that our girls won the the T20 World Cup. You know, it seems um, months ago now, doesn't it? Does seem a long time ago. I it's uh, look lucky we actually got that in to be honest, and lucky yeah. the girls actually had a chance to finish this season. Oh, look, I'm interested to speak to Diz about England. I mean, he's got that. Uh, he's just come back. I'm curious that we're lucky enough to finish our season here, and we haven't really had any financial brunt yet. We will do, but reading a lot over there, Diz, I'm curious how the players and that are going. You know, you're close to Sussex, been there many years. You know, yeah. how are they going about it? What's the future hold for them? Yeah, Hodge, it, it's it's a challenge for them. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we were, as I mentioned earlier, we cut short our pre-season tour to um, Cape Town. So we ended up going back. I got back to the UK, but it, it was pretty obvious that, you know, I got back to Hove and settled into the uh, accommodation. And it was pretty clear that um, the season wasn't going to start on time and it was going to be quite a, a long time. So it was decided that, you know, personally, uh, being an Aussie, I'd, I'd come home. Um, but the, the lads have all, um, you know, the, the country's in lockdown. So they're very limited in what they can do. There's no cricket. They can't access the cricket ground. Um, lads are allowed out for one hour a day to um, to keep fit. Uh, but a lot of lads are doing some stuff from home. So the Sussex strength and conditioning coach and the physio are, are keeping in touch with the boys so they can do some work at home. But um, the financial fallout, um, you know, it's only just starting to really bite at the moment, Hodgie, because um, obviously with no cricket, there's nothing for coaches to do. There's nothing for players to do. There's no cricket to be played. There's no income coming in for uh, the county. So Sussex, for instance, have a lot of conferencing facilities that are lying empty. Um, the, the little shops are shut. Uh, the cafe um, there's nothing for anyone to do. So uh, there's a uh, law over there that there's furlough. Uh, so a lot of 90% of the Sussex staff have actually been furloughed on 80% um, wages. So, yeah. um, and, and the deal with that is everyone having to stay away. And, uh, and now the players have been discussing this between the PCA and the ECB. I think there's been a lot of discussion about what the players can do to help uh, ease the financial uh, load off clubs that, are not earning any income. So I think there's been some really good uh, discussions there um, because a lot of the county clubs, um, as you guys know, are um, under, you know, are on a tight budgetary constraints as it is with the full quota of cricket. Um, so, and the biggest, uh, I suppose, biggest part of their budget is player wages. So, so there's a lot of discussions going on, but, um, but look, it's going to bite and it's going to bite pretty hard. And they were going to launch the 100 there this, yeah. this year. Is there any, any you know, talk about that? I'm sure there's lots of talk, but any sort of inside knowledge whether that will go ahead, whether maybe Reg scheduled at another time uh, or is it going to be postponed till next season? Yeah, I, I think uh, the initial thoughts probably a week or so ago, Hodgie, was that the priorities that the ECB were going to push hard for were international cricket 
um, the T20 Blast, the Domestic Blast, and potentially the 100 ball competition. Now, what I've been hearing in the last week is that potentially the 100 ball competition will make way and might be pushed back to next season because part of the big deal of the 100 ball competition was to bring new audiences into the game. But if they're going to have to play behind closed doors, that kind of defeats the purpose of uh, you know, creating this new tournament. Um, but a lot will depend on, on Sky and BBC uh, because they're the ones pouring the money into, into cricket in England. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think counties would like to see the blast um, played in some form. And I know a lot of county members would love to see, even if it is a condensed um, four-day competition, go ahead. I, I can't see the 50-over comp going ahead at all in any form. Um, I think it was actually pushed back to a um, to almost a development competition anyway. So I think the priorities will be, obviously, international cricket, the T20 blast, a um, bit of championship cricket maybe, and I think the 100-ball the comp will be pushed back to maybe next year. Well, England are probably the, the country hardest hit, aren't they? And, and I suppose secondaries, India, with, with the IPL. Definitely. There's no doubt, Firm, that the timeline is will hurt those. Uh, speaking of Ronnie the other day about it, in one of the messages which come from Cricket Australia, the boss, Kevin Roberts, was that how in Australia fortunate enough to be in this position and how they sort of repay that debt to those. So, you know, when Australia play England or when England are due to play test matches and stuff, which is the financial windfall for everyone, yeah, when's that going to happen and uh, and how Australia can actually help facilitate that? Same with the IPL. The IPL generates enormous money. Um, yeah. You know, those th- those things like the Ashes and the IPL need to happen uh, for world cricket as well. So a lot of those monies do filter down to other countries as well in that area. Well, it's just the unknown, isn't it? We don't know when we will see the, the next cricket match. I mean, just going back to the, the T20 final, um, yeah, it was just an amazing effort by the girls, wasn't it? They they just got there through the semi-final South Africa, and and I was in the in the crowd, and obviously it was a world, uh, the biggest crowd, um, women's yeah. um, cricket crowd um, globally, and the way that Alyssa Healy, it, it was one of the great knocks, wasn't it? From ball one, she just you, took it I don't on. If, don't know if you caught up with it, this, but you wouldn't have known that Flem wasn't at the game with the amount of social media posts that he did put on. Um, oh, jeez. You know, I checked the, up today. I saw. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, just telling everyone that it was this end, it was the members end where, you know, you occasionally got the bowl from, you know, behind, in front of Gillespie and McGrath. Usually you got the southern stand end, which was exactly. in the debris, you know. So a lot of the social media posts were about himself, but it was good <laughs> to see guys get something anyway. <laughs> so did you get the impression I was there? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, we knew you and, were there. And I know, Hodger, you're a big Katy Perry fan, and she was yeah. fantastic. And the girls got to celebrate, but poor Beth Mooney didn't. Yeah. No, you got to follow the rules. I mean, uh, you're not, I'm sure she would have made up Ron, but yeah, she's stuck in the uh, the toilet giving a uh, urine sample test for, uh, for drugs. And the good thing is, she passed, I assume. Um, and I mean, there's many celebrations which go forward. Uh, Katy Perry is a good one, but uh, I'm sure there would have been many more celebrations. She had a wonderful tournament. The Australian girls are clearly the best group of girls out there and have been for a while. Um, 
And even with the injuries to a couple of their superstars, Valamic and also Perry, you know, they've just got the depth and the quality. And, and Matthew Mott did a great job in mustering his troops up to be able to get that victory. And then on a big stage as well, in front of 90-odd thousand people plus Flem, was amazing. I, I mean, Correct. they got past the pressure of seeing you in the second tier and you've been there before. Um, it would have been remarkable for them. Yeah, I was first tier. I don't oh, do second tier. tier. Okay. The, the, the beauty of that, though, is Australia might have been the most dominant team coming in, but there were still wobbles. You know, I love semifinals oh. because they're absolutely brutal. Yeah, look, they did have a couple of wobbles during the tournament, that's for sure. I remember specifically watching the um, – who was the leg spinner from India? Um, Pune? Oh, Pune. beautifully. Yeah, beautifully. Yeah, she bowled really nicely and knocked over uh, – I think she got fourth in, in that game. And, you know, that, you know, there was a couple of question marks thinking, oh, is this a, is this a speed hump um, for the girls? But I think the way they, they stood up, I think they stay nice and relaxed, nice and calm, and just focus on the task at hand. Um, you know, knowing as Hodgie said, I think they're, they're very well led uh, by Meg Lanning and uh, and obviously Matt Mott uh, behind the scenes there. Um, look, I, I think you know when the big moments came, they're big players, and we saw that in the final with Alyssa Healy for sure. You know what All that right. was, boys? I just want to talk about that. The absolute dog tip that was served up at Sydney yeah. for that first game against India where it was a spinner, it was a slow, crappy dog heap of a wicket. It couldn't have said India take the first couple of points any easier than that. A slow turner. (laughs) Oh, my God. Are you calling us conspiracy theory, eh? All I'm saying is that it's got a precedent where we played our first test in Adelaide not long ago. And then we play the first World Cup game at a dog tip in Sydney. Oh, here so we go. I'm calling it out saying that uh, <laughs> it was it was designed and the, Australia got the result which they deserved on mm, that well, particular game. Well, can't complain with that. You actually peak on the final. That's what you want. And um, obviously your exactly honorary right. role at the BCCI is going beautifully, Hodgie. Um, <laughs> hey, Shield Cricket... Shield Cricket finished New South Wales. We didn't get to play the final, but uh, they were on top, so they got it. Uh, they picked, um, Green Australia picked a Shield 11. Just want to, I'll go through it. Daniel Hughes opening up, average 44. Joe Burns, average 51. Nick Maddinson, um, we will talk about him. He averaged 86. And I think anyone that's seen him bat in the bash should be going, how? Uh, Shaw Marsh, average 48. Um, Cameron Green, want to talk about him, uh, 700 runs and an average of 63 as a 21-year-old. Tom Cooper, 54. Peter Neville was the keeper, average 37 again. Michael Neeser, 33 wickets at 17. He's a, he's a beauty, Neeser. Um, talking about beauties, what about Peter Siddle at 34, 32 wickets at 19? Cameron oh. Gannon, good comeback from him. He took 38 wickets at 20. And number 11, Wes Agar, 33 wickets at 24. Um, in particular, for the future of Australian cricket, I want to talk about Agar and um, and Green. But um, what about Nick Maddinson? Like, you know, I had a little chat to him during the Big Bash when, when it looked like he was batting the wrong way around. And, and, and he was mystified himself. That's a beauty. He was that honest. 
Um, oh. But then to, to come out of that and, and absolutely smash them again in Shield cricket is unbelievable. His Shield cricket has been unbelievable for him for the last few seasons. Uh, and he was probably on the verge of Australian selection again before he broke his arm before the previous Big Bash, which probably put him back 14 games of experience as well. He's such a dominant striker. I just think that he went about, he wasn't sure about how to play in the Big Bash. At the moment, he's playing great four-day cricket. He looks unstoppable. And he's certainly one who's played for Australia before and could elevate for another opportunity down the track. He was due to play for Australia, right? Unfortunately, he had to pull out for some family issues up in Sydney, which he had to deal with. So timing wasn't great. Um, that may have just halted his progression in T20. But... You know, it's never easy to get all three forms of the game right. And he's certainly got two of them right. Once he gets the third one right, my God. He has represented Australia in T20 before. So we know how good he is. But great, great, skillful person. He's a different person. He's certainly a different uh, human. But uh, <laughs> great guy and um, good play for Australia down the track. Hodgie, just watching it though, and he's a natural, uh, has a, a high or quick strike rate in shield cricket naturally. You know, there's a school of thought going, well, why can't he just treat the bash like it's shield cricket? Because he just scores so quickly. I just don't think that he understands his capabilities when he just bats, similar to Maxwell. And you can ask Diz. Everyone goes out there with this carefree attitude, oh, we'll be right, we'll swing away. But there is repercussions if you get it wrong. Uh, I'd said this to you before, Flem, on this show, yeah. that you know, the best player in the competition was Dizzy's number five this year, John O'Wells just skillfully goes about his craft, dominates, plays great cricket shots, good against spin, just a simple, simple message, and he gets the job done. Nick Madison's probably going out there thinking, okay, I'll play for Australia. How can I turn those lights back on me again? He's surrounded by a lot of superstars of the stars. You know, he just didn't have, I don't think, a serious game plan. Even at the top, when you are aggressive, you still have to have a simple level of uh, attention to detail when you walk out to the bat. I don't think he did that. And once he fouled a few times, didn't know how to catch it up. So oh. it can weigh you down pretty quickly, the pressure. So I think that's, you know, he could take a note out of John O'Wells' book. Okay, go, well, what's my role? How can I actually understand my game a little bit better? And he'll probably get a better result. Well, John O'Wells does it as well as anyone does. Yeah, and Hodge is right. I mean, he, he, the thing with Wells is he, he was, he's very clear on what his role is in the team and, and how he can go about it. You know, where he depends, you know, where he comes in, how he you know, sets the game up. Uh, a lot of the time, it, it, quite often, he'll be 10 runs off 10 balls. Um, and then all of a sudden, he go bang, bang. All of a sudden, he's 18 off 12 and he's away. Um, it's having, I suppose, having that confidence and belief. And I know Hodgie, when Hodgie was captaining the strikers, he would talk about that at times is you have a lot more time than you think. And if you if you have to absorb a few balls, um, trust yourself to, you know, be able to um, score those runs at the back end there. Um, so, look, Wells is very clear on that. I look at Nick Maddinson. I, I see a very, very good player, and I think we all do. Um, I, I just, you know, as an opposition uh, team, uh, we look at, at uh, Maddinson playing for the Stars. We just think it's just a bit of a, a bit unsure about exactly how he's going to go about his game. Like one day he'll come out and he'll try and hit for ball one. He'll try to hit yeah. sixes in and over. Another one he'll look at 
like block ten balls in a row and then try to hit out. Um, it just doesn't look like he's he's necessarily been clear on what his exact role is um, for that particular game against that particular opposition. And just the the two youngsters picked in that um, shield eleven. Yeah, you know, Cameron Green. You know, wonderful year with the bat, but obviously I've seen him bowl. I mean, he looks like an unbelievable prospect with the ball. And you've had a bit to do where, where's Agar. I mean, that, they're, they're superstar figures, and, and he did a great job in the Shield, but yeah. also for you with the Adelaide Strikers. Yeah, look, Wes was a, a great kid, and I mean, we just knew that, you know, certainly from a striker's point of view, I can't talk from a Redback point of view, but with, with the Strikers, we, we saw a kid who obviously got potential, can bowl with a little bit of pace, um, just a real willingness to learn, a very coachable young player. Uh, in terms of, in, you know, you listen to the, the coaches or listen to um, teammates. We're very fortunate, you know, have someone like Peter Siddle around our group, Michael Nessa, um, you know, experienced guys who can who can work with him. Because I'm a big believer you learn as much from, if not more, from your teammates than you do from, um, from coaches and the like uh, and other mentors. So, you know, for Wes to have someone like Peter Siddle specifically uh, around, Michael Nessa, um, to listen and learn from, uh, you know, has been fantastic for him and his development. Um, you know, and certainly seeing his shield cricket go from strength to strength. I think being giving a specific role as well, um, and just getting that confidence, getting a, a couple of games under his belt, picking up a couple of twofers and threefers here, that just gives you a little bit of a boost. A bit, a bit like a batter getting an opportunity, a bit of an extended run in the side, and then you know may not be getting your 150, 200 runs, but being able to contribute with the bat spend some time out in the middle, learn about the game and grow that confidence. And I think we've seen that with Wes Agar uh, this, pre- this season just gone. Well, they're two young cricketers on the rise, the man that we won't see in Shield cricket next year. Um, and an interesting call, Stephen O'Keefe won't be getting a contract for New South mm. Wales. Um, and it's an interesting call because the the Australian contracts have been put off, um, obviously, with with the virus and the uncertainty in the, in the cricketing world there but um you know Soku an amazing he is 35 years of age but you know his first class record um 301 wickets at an average of 24 and in his nine tests 35 wickets at 29 of course that great 12 for to win a test in India but your thoughts about Sok the player but also the decision because as he said um he was disappointed and he wasn't just talking about himself just saying that you know the spinning depth in Australia it is not strong at all. It needs real help. That if Nathan Lyon, for me, is the most irreplaceable player in the Australian team, like Cummins, unbelievable, but we've got back up quick, haven't we? Pattinson, knees a bird, these types. Stephen Smith would be a massive hole, but you know, we might be able to conjure up enough runs. Um, without Lyon as a spinner, you know, we would be. Um, such a lesser team because of that, and 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 you'd think O'Keefe wouldn't be far off if there was an injury in the next twelve months. Well, one of the things which is curious about that firm is if there is a lack of depth in our spinning, it's not going to allow our batters either to get any better against spin. That's quality numbers that he's post there, and uh, it's not a big turn of the ball. Hasn't got a doostra. Nah. He's very very accurate, and that's sort of a little bit subjective to the way our, our players have played spin because we know the SCG is never what it used to be. It doesn't spin a hell of a lot. So A, he's got a great deal of variation and skill in his flight and his change of pace, subtle stuff. B, 
But, um, you know, he's had his troubles with the, the management stock and, and maybe it's just something where it's just come to a time where uh, management have just decided that they might have some future youngsters coming through the system in New South Wales um, and it might just be that time, 35. But, yeah, he's the type of guy that you actually want playing Sheffield Shield cricket just to make sure that your depth is very strong and, you know, people get the opportunity to play against, you know, good players and, and especially good spin bowlers. Cheers. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to know um, who the young spinners coming through New South Wales are uh, specifically. Um, because, I mean, look, Flem, you mentioned those numbers. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty solid numbers. but So I can't help but think, and with Hodgie's point, that, you know, the uh, all the contracts are being delayed a little bit or somewhat particularly the Australian setup, um, for him to be told now that he won't be offered a contract. Yes, I know he's 35, um, but look, you'd expect him to play a couple more years at least, um, bowing left arm uh, finger spin. I just wonder, and I read a Crick Info article uh, today, uh, this morning actually, just wondered if it's just something to do with uh, away from the you know, the actual playing side of it. You know, I know there's yeah. been a couple of incidents. So I just wonder if that has played a part. I think Hodgie just alluded to that, maybe some issues with the management, but, um, you know, maybe that, that's just come to a head. But I, I just, from a pure cricketing point of view, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting decision, that's for sure. Talking about off-field boys, I, I don't think you guys have checked out the test the uh, a documentary on, on Prime about the Australian team, but uh, I've watched it in the last mm. week. And, um, yeah, it's pretty good. It, it's excellent. And it sort of yep. takes you back to straight after Sandpaper Gate and Justin Langer taking over the team. But, you know, the things you forget about was, you know, that woeful one-day series over in England where they got absolutely flogged. Um, the test series at home against India, a very strong Indian team without Smith and, and, and Warner. Um, built some momentum in the one-dayers over in India. Got to, lost in the semi in the in the World Cup, obviously. And and then that, that unbelievable test series which, where they retained the Ashes. They lost the last test of that series there. But uh, in watching it, if I was giving awards, well, well, well best actor um, was obviously the coach, Justin Langer. He, he gets about 40% of the time on there. But, you know, as an, an ex-teammate that we loved and we loved playing with, just to see at times, you know, his growth throughout there. You know, you could see at times in that one-day series in England um, and in times in that Indian Test Series, it, it was all getting um, going like 100 miles an hour and he's not sure where to get the wins. But um, to see the, the progress of Elfie throughout that, uh, best supporting actor would go to to Tim Payne as as the captain, um, and some great insights. I mean, I couldn't imagine it when we were playing boys. You know, uh, uh, some of the questions, and obviously the decision, um, the captaincy decisions in that last partnership with Stokes and Leach um, in that lost Test match, and and in the team meeting afterwards, and Payne he was asked some. Pretty tough questions, and to get through that, um, the villain would have to be an equal Jofra Archer when he filled in Stephen Smith, and obviously Ben Stokes with that amazing hundred. Um, Stephen Smith comes out of it as as a like a, a generational player, like just that um, 
when they were talking about the booing, you know, he really embraced it. You know, he, he took it on as, as if, well, I see it as they see me as a threat. And 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 his batting was was unbelievable. And, and runner-up to him was Marnus. And the comedian was Mitchell Marsh. I know he didn't play a lot in that series, but you can see why he's so much loved by his teammates and, and, and great for, for the culture there. But if I had to give it a rating of six Yorkers out of six, I'll give it five. So you two, you haven't got much on. Oops. Make sure you give it a viewing. Yep. Definitely have a look at it. I, I'm a bit excited about watching it. So, yeah, looking forward to it. I think the thing is, Flem, that it's a feel-good story. So I already know it's a feel-good story. So that's Gee, cynic. A... You are cynical, Hodge. Well, it's, it's, it's a feel-good story, mate. It's built from Sandpaper Gate, which was just <laughs> the ass end of the world. And you know it's going to be good. It's going to have a good finish. So um, I like it. I like the theory. <laughs> um, I, um, I'll have a look at it for you, Flem. There's no doubt. But I, I sort of half know the story anyway. So Best, best dramatic actor was actually Usman Khawaja, who, um, you know, come out of it saying that, you know, he, he was happy to, to actually bring up issues and after the MCG loss against India, you know, he questioned Alfie, Justin Langer, said we walk uh, along eggshells around you and, and, and you're intimidating. And we didn't get Alfie's response. I'm sure there's a lot in the, on the cutting room floor. But, yeah, even something like that, I got out of that, that, you know, Usman Khawaja, you know, I really like that in the team, that, that you are happy to, to question things if you don't think it's right. And, um, yeah, 100% I, I thought, Flem, and, and, I mean, and, and what you mentioned there, Flem, sorry to interrupt there, um, you mentioned that the evolution of Alfie over the course of the, the whole doco, do you, do you think that moment in Melbourne with Usman Khawaja was a real turning point? Even though you said you didn't see his response in the in the test, do you think you saw that as a real turning point with Alfie and how he interacted with players and coaching staff? Well, definitely. I don't think it's just about um, Justin Langer himself. I think uh, what Usman did was he opened it up for, for other teammates to not only question the mm. coach, the coaching staff, or, but also the peers, because in that England series, the Test series, there was a lot more questioning within the group. So, um, yeah, I'd like to have seen Alfie's response, and, and obviously Alfie said later on that you know he loves that and he loves Usman, um, which which is fine. But no, I, I think well, you guys have been you've coached more teams than me. I, I think if um, the, the, the cultures that. You can't be have constructive criticism, and and it doesn't go back on you and bite you. I, I think everyone wins yeah. if it's open. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, that's the only way to to learn and improve because we're all about getting better and and improving. And you know, I think seeing that, I, I'm I'm actually a bit excited about seeing that purely, you know, selfishly from a, a coaching point of view. You know, seeing you know that interaction between. Kawaja and Alfie, um, I, I think will be will be really good, and I think something f- for me as a coach, and that's something for me to learn about and uh, and see what I can take away from that as well. Because you know we're always striving to to get better in what we do and how we interact with players, how we interact with our coaching staff. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Flair. Hey boys, 
in this uh, time of isolation, we've seen a lot on social media, you would be all over this, Hodgie, of uh, people picking their best teams and their best players and all that sort of stuff. So I just had a couple of questions for you boys um, in, in, in batting bowling. But first up, best captain and why? Diz? Well, mine's a toss-up. Um, when I first got the Australian side, I had Mark Taylor and, um, and then after a little while, uh, Steve Waugh. Um, both incredibly supportive, um, you know, for me personally. Um, you know, I think both tactically, I, th- I thought both were very good. Um, for me, I probably look with Tubby a little bit through rose-coloured glasses because, um, you know, it was very early in my career career and you know I'd, I'd had a lot of I was in and out a bit with uh, injuries and the like and, and he gave me some really good advice um, during a test match I, I hadn't bowled well uh, we were playing in Perth and hadn't bowled particularly well the night before got belted it was against England in 98-9 and I'd gone for about 70 runs off eight or nine overs the previous evening and he threw me the ball the next morning because I thought my career was over at that point and he threw the ball to me patted me on the back and just said this you've done all the work uh, because um, he knew I was sort of in the back of my mind. I was thinking injuries and whatnot, probably protecting myself a little bit. And, you know, he said, look, you've done all the work. You know, we trust you. You know, we all trust you. You just need to trust yourself. Just run in and bowl, mate. And uh, and it was almost like a little bit of a weight off my shoulders. And, and his calm demeanour was the thing that really resonated with me as a player because I was sort of a little bit on edge. And, and he's just calmly walking to first slip, chewing gum, and got a smile on his face. You know, and and that really gave me a lot of confidence and, and support. I felt I was believed in, and for me that that was huge. That as a player, and sort of, I take that into my coaching. You know, if a player knows that you genuinely believe in them, backing them, or believing them, I mean, three quarters of your job's done. And uh, I really felt that. So that's why I just put um, put Tubby right there um, for me from captaincy point of view. Hodge. Uh, I, I, I said Raul Dravid um, during my stint at Rajasthan Royals as IPL captain. I thought he was really good at uh, managing to get a younger group you know, up to the finals. Uh, that was probably a three-year sort of phase. Uh, just his skillful knowledge and sort of work with everyone within the squad, work with everyone in the sort of analytics team. Uh, I thought he was just really good in that space. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, Diz, just just Tubby Taylor, a fraction ahead of uh, Steve War. I just felt with Tubby, he could have been having the worst day of his life and, and you wouldn't have known. Everything was calm and, and generally, um, as a bowler, you, you, you want a calm captain. And, and also, um, the amount of times he brought on someone before lunch or tea, you know, a part-timer and they got a wicket, I just think he had a real knack of it. Um, pretty broad one, best bowler. Best ever. It's a tough one. Yeah, oh, look, it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> best bowler ever. Um, oh, no, that you played with or the, against. With or against. Uh, okay, with or against. I'm probably going to have to go um, Glenn McGrath. Um, and that's a bit harsh on Mira Litherin and Warney and... Um, Guys like Kirtley Ambrose and the, and the like, but I, look, I saw a lot of McGrath up close and um, just how he went about his work and uh, just the confidence in his own ability that he had um, that gave everyone else confidence in the team. Um, so for me, I just put Glenn at the top there. If 
Glenn, I chose uh, Murley. It'll probably cost me a six to twelve month ban from the king. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a tight one. Um, but just one of those guys where you just don't know where you're going to get a run. That was <laughs> so, yeah, he was the best for me. Yeah, I, I love uh, all the names mentioned there. For, you know, Murley. Worn. I mean, it was a Macram was the bowler I admired most in in my time that I'd love to have been able to bowl like. like. But in the end, I, I've gone back to McGrath because um, you know he, he probably didn't do. Um, you know, he wasn't the fastest. He didn't swing the ball the most. He didn't change the post the much. So almost his normality um, at a Richard Hadley type level was amazing. And then what, what I wrote about McGrath is that there was no natural enemy for him he got wickets in in all conditions if you look up his career record in australia india pakistan west indies south africa new zealand it's pretty consistent you know he got four to five wickets a test match or one and a half wickets a one day game in the low 20s so for me it's um you know what who's going to get the most wickets and build the most pressure it's mcgrath um i, I put um you know best bowling spell have you, have you got anything off your top of your head? I have. I've got one, and it was it was probably put in my head because Dizzy's going to be here today, but it got brought up during the week, and it was a spell that Dizzy bowled at Adelaide Oval with a reverse swinging ball at pace. Oh. And I can't, I can't remember who it was. It was either Ronnie or Dave. might have been David Hussey, I reckon, that said, it was probably one of the best spells I remember because we couldn't get a run. Um, yeah. Ball was both ways. One of them times where you're just hoping that Buford go, that's enough, this <laughs> time to have a rest. And it didn't happen. It just kept coming and coming for about seven or eight hours. So I remember that clearly is one of the best spells that I've, I've seen um, from the batting end. Here's a big one. It's too, I found it a bit hard to pick one. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, one that stands out for me, I mean, and, and I mean, the numbers don't lie. Um, you know, I'll go back to McGrath again. You know, played a, a game in Perth in uh, December 04. He got eight for 24 in the <laughs> test innings against Pakistan. Bowled him out for 72. It's just insane. Um, everything he did, he just got the next. He just, it, it was just incredible. Um, you know, that. Eight for 24, doesn't lie. It was just incredible spell of bowling and, uh, um, you know, just knocked over Pakistan for, I think, about 70 or maybe 72 runs. It was just, it was phenomenal. It really was absolutely phenomenal. I had one bowler that made you most apprehensive and, and, and there's physical fear and there's the, the fear of not scoring, which you talked about with Murali Hodge. I reckon early Sheffield Shield days, um, he wasn't the quickest, but he was just the ugliest, was Carl Mocker Rackerman. And he didn't seem to open the bowling for Queensland a lot in Shield cricket, but he always took the second new ball, and that would be the time when Victoria would be collapsing and you'd come in as a tail ender. And one is you just, he used to hit the seam. So there was the physical fear of getting smashed in the ribs or shoulder. And then there was just no half follies. He just actually couldn't well, score. You're lying there. You are lying. I'll tell you what, Victoria never, ever made it to a second new ball yeah. in the game. 
<laughs> it was only about the 40th over you were facing when you got in there. We're always eight for 110. <laughs> and you know, you're right because when I'm visualising facing him, it's actually at the MCG. I actually didn't even think about facing him at the Gabba. Uh, and and test-wise, I mean, uh, show of actor was, was the quickest. But the, the scariest spell was um, Devin Malcolm um, in an Ashes test at the Adelaide Oval. It was day five, so it's at its slowest. But it's one of the few times, I remember Steve Wall got knocked over and he played his beautiful forward defence. Unfortunately, his middle stump was in Steve Rhodes' throat, the wicketkeeper about 40 metres back. And it's one of the few times, I just remember, I've, I've got to go back in the back and across, no um, backlift. Because you can seriously get hurt here, um, so it was big Debbie for me in that in that Test match in Adelaide. What about you, boys? Well, I mean, I, I mean, this one Hodge played in this game, and, and I can't remember if you were playing Flem, but um, we played a Shield game '95-'6 uh, Adelaide Oval and um, against Victoria. Brad Williams got Ooh, six yeah. for eighty or something, and I can tell you now, it was the only time where I genuinely did not see the ball when I was batting, and it frightened the, the Jesus out of me. <laughs> all I did, I remember just getting one. I, I remember riding one. I just, just got my glove in time and squirted out the square leg, and I've just legged it through. Um, uh, I was that was the only time in my whole career where I, I was genuinely fearful for my uh, for my safety because it, it was just too quick. I just didn't see it. And um, Brad Williams probably doesn't get credited with being like out and out rapid pace by many people. But he was, as you guys know, he was rapid uh, early in his career. It's a shame, Hodgie, it's a shame he didn't get clocked in his first two or three years. By the time he played for Australia, he was actually a better bowler and he was um, still 140s. But um, he was the quickest Victorian bowler I I played with by a mile. No, he was quickest in uh, Sheffield Shield at that stage. There's no doubt, is he? Uh, and I, the person I choose is probably pretty similar. That was Sean Tate. Oh. Where, you know, those guys just give you sleepless <laughs> nights, you know, when you know you've got to front up to them the next day. Willow was the same, uh, frighteningly quick, uh, just, just genuine pace. So anything with genuine pace, you get sleepless nights. And Tatey was a bit like Devon for me is... I don't think they knew where it was going. They took the ball behind their body, so you lost the ball, and you just didn't know when they were going to release it and where it was going to go. No doubt. Devin Malcolm, I can concur with that, Flynn. One of the quickest I've ever faced was Devin Malcolm when Victoria played England at the Queen's Elizabeth Oval in Bendigo. And I got out cheaply only because Devin was too quick. But yeah. one of the best innings I ever saw was Matthew Elliott at the other end, peeled off 106 and just hit Devin Malcolm consistently in front of square leg for six with that oh. helmet that he wore with just the ear guards with his huge beak sticking out. It was a huge target. Devin couldn't hit it. <laughs> but phenomenal innings at scary, scary pace. Unbelievable. Are you having a go at big beaks? This well, is not the forum. We've got a couple here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. um, a, a lot of that uh, Twitter from Robert Linda, um, one of the ones I saw he shared was when Matthew Elliott hit that flat six off Alan Donald. They oh. hit the fence on the full. 
Like I just kept watching that and watching that again. Like he was such a phenomenal talent. Great fun as a teammate, Herbie. Yeah, he, he, was, he was a wonderful player. He, he was he was absolutely fantastic, uh, Herbie. Um, could could take down attacks, you know, on his day. Um, yeah, I, I hated bowling to him. I thought he was a phenomenal player, and uh, you know. You know, had, had his career, you know, panned out a bit differently. He could have had a longer career for Australia, that's for sure. Well, that leads me into best batter. You, you can pick an Australian one and an overseas one. You go, Hodge. I I picked – this was a hard one to really pick in all the legends that you could pick. I actually, I've gone for Alan Border. Oh. Only because only because his record to play that amount of games against the West Indies at full tilt um, yeah. is phenomenal. Uh, I just I'm not sure there's many players that could actually do that in the modern world. Uh, so I've gone for Alan Border because to hold that record, an average above fifty, playing the West Indies ten times a year, too good, way too good. And your captain, and what they wanted to do was get the captain and, and the rest will die, uh, basically. So he was targeted yeah. throughout that series. Yeah, not the most elegant. There's better elegant-looking players. There's Lara. There's yeah. there's heaps. But I just thought long and hard about it, and I thought in that era, you know, no helmets, no protect, good protective nah. gear. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's that's a hard one to, to beat, uh, Hodgie. Um you know, for me, I, I've probably gone in all conditions. I think we take into account, you know, fast, bouncy wickets, take into account lower, slow ones, seeming uh, surfaces, spinning surfaces. I probably just have to say Brian Lara, um, just above a lot of other wonderful players. But all conditions, I think. And, you know, playing, you know, at times in a side that, that, that was probably battling a little bit, he was kind of the lone hand and had to do all the work. Um, probably just put him in all conditions, just slightly ahead of some other obviously wonderful players that have, that have played our game. Yeah, well, I'll go punter um, mainly for that number three, and then he took games away. And then, um, yeah, it's always a battle between Tendulkar and Lara as the opposition. And, and I'll probably go oh. Tendulkar, mainly that I played more against India. So I had the unfortunate <laughs> opportunity to bowl to him more. Um, uh, you know, they, all those names are, are unbelievable. Uh, have you got a best innings? Yeah, I have. Um, I think at the time, Usman Kawaja's 34 at the SCG in his debut match was touted <laughs> as the best innings that anyone who was on the broadcast had ever seen. I just remembered it. Uh, 36 was, was, was. Was that before Bobby Quiney's nine? Nine, yeah. Well, that was the second best innings, apparently. The nine that Bobby scored at the Gabba was only second to Usman Khawaja's 34. So <laughs> forget uh, the history of uh, all the records, that 34, the SCG, was apparently the best innings that someone's <laughs> ever played <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a couple. Obviously, unfortunately for you, Diz, it was Laxman's 280-odd um, you know, in, in Chennai, two thousand and one, um, that 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 was amazing. 
Uh, I thought of Gilly's, yeah. uh, I think it was 149 against Pakistan in his second test, that, that mm-hmm. partnership with, um, yeah. with, with Alfie. But I, I actually went um, one day cricket, uh, Steve Waugh's 120 um, against South Africa to get us into the semi final. Um, I think it was his first one day 100. Just the pressure and, um, you know, the attack that South Africa had um, and the significance. Um, you know, obviously, if we lose, we're out of the tournament. I think he'd been told, well, he's basically gone as captain. Um, so I had that as, as the mm. best I saw. No, look, look, that's fantastic knock. And, yeah, look, um, hard to disagree with you. But I, I've gone his brother, um, <laughs> Mark's 100, 116 yeah. um, at Port Elizabeth in 1997 against a phenomenal South African attack in Challenging conditions. I think we needed in the fourth innings, needed uh, near on 300 to win, and he had 116. It's uh, yeah, one of the better knocks I've seen. Probably just shading um, Ricky Ponning's uh, match saving 100 at Old Trafford in Ooh. 2005. Okay, we'll move on. Best wicket keeper. I've gone for Darren Berry. Chuckles, yep. Yep. And if Fine I didn't paper. say that, he'd probably ring you up and have a go at me anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a but wonderful was, keeper, big it. chuck. Yeah. Diz? Yeah, I, look, I, I'm torn between uh, Ian Healy and um, Adam Gilchrist. Um, you know, heels, uh, I think, you know, particularly keeping to, to Warney. And then, you know, there was a time, if you remember, when Michael Bevan was actually bowling quite a bit, bowling those fast left-arm Chinamans. And, you know, some of the work heels did up to the stumps to those guys was, was incredible. Um, but, you know, in my whole my career, you know, um, I had Adam Gilchrist behind the stumps a lot. And, and I don't remember him missing anything. Uh, he, was, he was fantastic and took some wonderful catches. He, he prided himself on his keeping. One thing that a lot of people don't probably realise is just – he always saw himself as a keeper first and, you know, he would put so much time and effort into it and, um, you know, and, and he, he didn't miss much at all. And, uh, you know, so I think he's a very underrated keeper um, in, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, you, you have to be a good player to play, you know, over 90 test oh. matches for your country as a wicketkeeper batsman. And um, so, yeah, it's hard for me to split those two. Yeah, both keeping to warning. I'll have heels just ahead of, of Gill, um, you know, just for his all-round work. They both had unbelievable work ethics. They were great leaders in the team. Gilly was underrated because people don't know, he's, he's quite a tall man. He's got long arms. So, you know, he was taking catches that obviously shorter keep, keepers couldn't. But, um, yeah, they were both brilliant there. What about, do you have an underrated teammate? Most underrated teammate that doesn't get the accolades. I'll go um, one from Victoria. I had, uh, you know, Wayne Rowdy Phillips, um, who I think he got 4,000 runs at an average of 40. Obviously, I played with him at Club Cricket South Melbourne. And the amount of time he got runs when our more, more, uh, well, bigger name players missed out. Um, he was such a tough, gutsy player, great team player. So I had Rowdy down as my underrated teammate. Yeah, I had a Victorian. I, I, I had pistol, Paul Rifle. Um, <laughs> never really got the, I, I suppose, the accolades. He, you know, just went about his job, um, you know, with bat and ball. I think uh, pistol averaged probably 26, 27 with the bat 
handball yeah. in test cricket. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, very uh, understated man. I, I think you know he, he was seen as this very laid back character, but I think his demeanour belied just how competitive a man he was as a cricketer. Um, you know, one of, one of the most competitive uh, guys around. It just shows that you know people's perception of someone doesn't quite match the reality at times because I, I found Pistol to be an unbelievably competitive cricketer but oh, yeah. to the person watching in the stands they just think oh he looks a pretty laid back uh, character um, yeah well, I love Pistol he's really fantastic good room mate I... never talked to you <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all Flem, I can't remember playing against South Melbourne and having any other big names apart from you and Rowdy Phillips in it but that's okay uh, I'm talking for Victoria. <laughs> oh, Victoria. There you go. Right, right. Um, my most underrated player was Clinton Perrin. So, yes, Clinton Perrin averaged 36 for the Queensland Bulls at the Gabba at the time where the Gabba was the real Gabba oh, I yeah. thought that amongst the, you know, Ma, Love, Simons and a few other big bad bullies, I thought Clinton Perrin was an underrated player for his stats. I've done my homework today, Flynn. That's a very good one. That's a very I, I, good one. Now, we'll move on because I want to talk about – I don't want this to go for two hours, but I reckon I've got some questions there that we might finish um, on, on the next podcast, boys. Next one, our guide to – our guide to – wearing shorts on the cricket field because, Bradley, you played for the Victorian yep. cricket team who were called the Bush Rangers and they had yep. this unbelievable season, 94-95, where they donned the shorts, yep. they didn't lose a game, smashed the sack of spuds in the final. And I, I just did a bit of research and, and the person who came up with that was a former Victorian player who was the marketing manager at Cricket Victoria, David Emerson. And he he come up with it, just um, wanted to come up with some new ideas to get more people through. Uh, he also uh, put in the boundary ropes. Do you remember people would be sitting and having beers um, yeah, on the a- actual field? And he said, yeah. Did, didn't and he wanted to see more sixes. Um, he said it didn't go over that well with the board, but um, but well done to Emo. Um, and but what what can you remember what it was like first playing in a Hodgie? Yeah, I can. Um, I remember the technology on the bike shorts weren't that great underneath the shorts at that time. <laughs> uh, I remember it didn't quite match the carpet shirt that you had on the mercantile <laughs> neutral shirt at that time. Weighed that much, it wasn't funny. So you had a light bottom and like this huge shirt that didn't fit anyone um, and the worst thing about it even though it was quite good and looked okay was we had a game at Perth and we're at the Wacker and it was a high scoring game and everyone in the outfield had to dive and stop the balls but no one had done it before and <laughs> I remember there was that many people that couldn't play or couldn't train next week because they'd lost all their skin on the front of their car. Um, you can ask Sakes about that. Sakes lost both sides. And it was, I, I remember being problematic at that stage because no one would dive from that time on. But 
it did did look okay. I thought it was something which could have gone on a bit further, but that was the problem. You couldn't slide without losing half your skin. Did you with the ponytail express at that time? Did you remember looking at him and feeling jealous that you couldn't get the shorts on? Yeah, it was it was just that I played my first shield game at the end of that season. Um, no, I I <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the look. Um, I, I'm interested in um, you mentioned David Emerson was in the marketing department. You said, "Oh, it might bring more people in." I'm at a loss. How can players wearing shorts bring more people into the game? Um, look, just well, uh, the females, me, it, it, the females potentially. But, oh, well, come exactly. On, the whole the whole thing was marketed around Merv Hughes and Tony Dottermay. So. <laughs> Now, do you do you remember that um, photo shoot that I sent out on Twitter yesterday? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I did have some correspondence That's with Merv. I reckon you look like a twelve-year-old boy. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's pretty funny. There's one of the whole squad. Our whole squad got to have, you know photo with the shorts on, and there was there's some there's some funny ones going on there. I remember it was a Brian Doyle, the off spinner. Yeah. Um, he looked As, like he just—he just looked like he had matchsticks in his shorts. It was—it was just, it just didn't work. Let's be honest. The cricket, what about the Simon Cook? Snaker well, had legs. He had no calves. Uh, that was the problem at the time. There was a lot of big roofs on the players, and yeah, the chassis of the person didn't quite fit the athletic ability of their legs because most of the guys had strong legs, a strong core, but. You know, those free Carlton Draft products that used to be bantied around the change room. Yes. It's unfortunately going straight to the midriff and the short thing just didn't quite work. A lot of them needed the jawstring, you know, to actually keep, keep them up. I think it was sponsored by Light Ice, though. Was it light in calories or just it in was, alcohol? I think it was Carlton Light. I'm, I can't remember anyone ever drinking one <laughs> light back in the day. <laughs> hey, back to the fire. Hey, you're talking about yeah. Oh, sorry. I just saw that Troy Corbett got four for thirty in that game uh, against well, South Australia, and he was a fine bowler. Was his, did he call himself Bob Seeger or something? Or he said he wasn't Bob Seeger. What was that? It is true. He, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, he, re- he was a bit like Flem, I reckon, dizzy playing with you and Pidge, knowing that he never actually got the wind behind his back. Nah, so. Right. That, that was the reason. Every time he used to run in, he used to say, oh, I'm Bob Seeger against the wind. That was the thing. You think he's a cop over in your I got to a state. Yeah, he's a cop over in your state, I reckon, now, Ronnie. Yeah, in so South Australia, Ronnie. He's, good, he's mates a fine of, yeah. good mates with Glenn McGrath. Now, it got to a point, I think, where Ronnie could only bowl with the breeze with a new ball to tail enders. That's the only time he was comfortable. But... In that final, there was a crowd of 11,000, so that's not bad for a domestic final. Um, there's Lehman, Nobe, Siddons, top scorer, Darren Potsy Webber, Diz. Potsy Webber, he was, he was a fine right hand player. He used to bat, normally about uh, bat three or four for South Australia throughout his career. Would have played maybe 30, 40 shield games. But he, he was a clean striker of the ball, Darren Webber. Um, great teammate, very funny man. And, um, but, yeah, he could strike the ball very cleanly. And, you know, probably one of those lesser lights, a bit like what um, Hodge mentioned with Clinton Perrin around 
some bigger names like the Lehmans, the um, Blewitts, the, the Siddons and the like. So he was uh, one of those guys that just probably flew under the radar a bit, but he was a fine player, that's for sure. No, he's a good player. He seemed to leave um, pretty young too. I think he helped you win the Shield, didn't he? The yeah, he played uh, 95-6 and, yeah, he was he, he didn't play much after that, maybe the, the following season and that was about it, I reckon. Now, um, with the ball, you talked about Ronnie Corbett. What about uh, the heartthrob, Jason Backer, four for 15? He had a phenomenal season, the J-Back, that time. Uh, he, was, he was easily the best all-rounder going around at that time. <laughs> I think it was an in-house battle between him and uh, Ian Rigglesworth at the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jace Backer clearly won it, I think. Stump to stump. I think Lenny King used to fire him out if it hit the pad. So, you know, we're well on our way to a final. He was on fire. Yeah, True Backer also played in the, the next final uh, four years later. And I, re- I reckon he got Michael Bevan out in that final there. With the bat, B. Hodge opens with Rowan Larkin. Hodge, Court Nielsen, Bowl Whitney, four of 13 balls. What was going on? Uh, it's Wasp sure was way too good that day. <laughs> way too good. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, the only thing I remember about that game is that I actually dropped uh, Jamie Siddons on Nort at mid-off for a duck. And oh, no. Shakes went absolutely nuts at me. <laughs> Next ball, Jamie Siddons advanced down the wicket, hits it straight over the side screen for six. So he's, he's six off two balls. If you have a look at him, you get the quick fire 10, I think, off six or seven balls. And I just thought, oh, this is going to be bad. I'm going to walk in and Stillman's going to have a crack at me for dropping, you know, Siddons and letting, letting it go. But anyway, he think sakes got him out. No, you're right. Uh, Ten off seven balls with one six for, for Mucha Siddons. Uh, a couple no, of bowlers, Diz, for the um, uh, Sackers. With, uh, obviously, Brad Whitney, but Blocker Wilson and Shane George. Oh, well. Yeah, but Blocker Wilson was uh, like probably a little bit similar to Brad Whitney. Didn't swing it. Brad Whitney, when he got it right, could move the ball away from the right-handers. But they, they both quite tall bowlers, bowled similar lengths. Um, you know, Blocker probably more angled it into the right-handers, whereas Wig was trying to shape it away from the right-handers. But they're a very fine bowler, played uh, maybe a 10 uh, one days for Australia. Blocker now, very respected umpire, won his third umpire of the year award, um, done very well. And Shane George, well, he was the absolute enigma. Uh, Shane George, <laughs> one of... Oh, he was one of the most incredible human beings you'd ever want to meet. Um, bowl fast. For, for those who probably didn't bowl's good pace, probably for those who never seen Shane George bowl, think of Mark Wood from England. Um, yeah. Probably as similar action as you probably short bowler, bit skiddy, um, very similar uh, similar bowling action. Um, but look, bowled when he got it right. Shane George is uh, very very fast and uh, on very on a very poor diet and um, and enjoyed a couple of bevies as well. He's quite abusive and aggressive when he was bowling. What's he's he doing this yeah. time? Look, aggressive. Uh, well, I haven't spoken to Georgie for a number of years. I mean, last I knew, he was working, I think, for Vizzy uh, Vizzy Board um, here in Adelaide, but. Uh, I haven't seen Georgie for a little while, but look, what a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, bowler he was. He is uh, one of these guys who probably didn't have to, tra- didn't train much, uh, but just turned up and uh, bowled the house down. Naturally, unbelievably gifted, could swing the ball uh, away from the right-handers with a new one, 
and one of the better exponents of bowling with the with the old ball that, that you'll see, particularly with the nature of Adelaide Oval at the time when he played in the late 80s and 90s. Um, got a lot of reverse swing with the dry um, dry surface and the dry surrounds. He could get the ball to reverse quite quickly and he was very effective. Yeah, nasty man with ball in hand, not so nasty with bat in hand. I, I played a couple of youth tests with, uh, with, with Georgie uh, against the West Indies over there and Normally, when uh, a batsman greets you, you know they'll say, "What's going on?" And, and you, uh, his first thoughts were always, "Are they bowling bounces? How quick are they bowling? If they're bowling quick <laughs> bounces, I'm not hanging around." <laughs> I just loved his honesty. Um, now we're a classy podcast here, uh, you know, and we and we like to set a standard. Um, we don't like to go too lowbrow. But I, I, I text a couple of teammates of the of uh, that year that you won, Hodgy, and a question come from one of them. Um, does Hodgie remember the infamous Melbourne to Perth flight where Hodge's flatulence caused complaints from passengers being sent to Cricket Victoria? <laughs> Is this true? Well, let's be honest. There's been a few Victorians over the time that have been known to bend the truth a little bit. So oh. yeah, all I can do is blame a few of my teammates. And that look. You know what, Flam, you, you learn and grow as an individual the older you get. So I, I'd imagine that that was probably down to the fact that my older statesmen, people that I looked up to, the mentors, Fleming, Harvey, uh, Merv Hughes, would have taken me out for six to ten beers the night before. <laughs> I would have had a couple of Bundys tacked on that, gone home, <laughs> eating a dirty big shivaki at three o'clock in the morning, and then had to get on a flight. So I put it down to poor leadership, Flem. <laughs> I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but I'm just probably putting it down to leadership from other people. <laughs> Who I'm was that like, brought that up? Is that Laurie Harper? I'm going to get him. I might just see whether it was David Emerson that had to rewrite back to the complaints there as well in his shorts. Hey, <laughs> uh, do you know what time it is? The reason yep. people don't go onto social media because if there's any self-promotion out there, you absolutely nail them. It's been a while. Um, yeah. What have you got for us? It has been a while. And, look, what's happened is that we've been absolutely flooded by one person, boys. And there's been little cameos, of course, from Greg Norman, a leader, a legendary human in our podcast for votes. And he's getting extravagant now that he's locked up in his mansion in Florida. Um, We've seen Google Gilly a little bit active. Uh, We've seen Pup showing himself doing some Yeah, Pup's been good. Yep. Yeah, pump and some bicep curls and things. And, you know, now he's single, he probably has to again, doesn't he? So it's a good point. Why not show it out there? But there's been one, Flem, and it's been quite disturbing to me to see the rise of this human being uh, in the course of social media. He was dormant for the best part of 45 years, Flem. Absolutely dormant. And it's been a monumental rise to the top. And he's been mentioned (laughs) earlier about being... One of the greatest batsmen that we've seen on this earth. Now he's quickly becoming one of the greatest social media self-promoters in the world. And that is our captain of the past, RT Ricky Ponting. There's no one else. Can't get any more votes. Um, No, he's taken, he has taken to it um, really well, hasn't he? For someone that avoided it for so long, um, was there anyone in particular? 
one post or is it that the frequency and the and the self-promotion of them more frequency and self-promotion there was one which i found staggering um look i mean there's not many people who play 140 odd plus tests is there i have the the or be good enough to play 140 odd tests and then you know, we, we know we know how good he was. There's no need to get one baggy green cap that's brand new and then post one that's 140 games old because you're that good. Everyone already knows, Flynn. We know how good you are. Partner, there's no need to self-promote, buddy. Just leave it to the individuals like KP and that that need it. You don't that's, need to do it. So has he just got the 10 votes, punter? And more I to come, think- I'd imagine. I just think he he absolutely just dwarfed everyone else on this. They, I mean, they're, they're minuscule compared to the efforts which he's gone into in this last four or five months. Uh, well, well you if know, you can ke- keep track of that, Hodgie, because he might get himself up the leaderboard. I, I just thought Norma would win up for the third year in a row, but um, there's a new there's a new gun out there, and he's gunning for him. He's gunning for him. I'm not sure whether he's not sure what to do home in Brighton with the kids. I don't know, but this social media rise has been phenomenal for him. He may, I can't see him doing it for free. He must be some coins somewhere in there for him. But whatever he's doing, he's doing it right, boys. He's doing it right. Okay, that's Hodgie's self-promoter, uh, self-promoter award, social media self-promoter award. Uh, boys, just a bit of a poll question I put out there last night after watching uh, the test on Prime, after the brilliant doco, the test. Which series would you have liked to see behind the series? Uh, one, body line, two, the 2001 India versus Australia, or three, the 2005 Ashes. Have you got any thoughts, you two? Well, for me, I'd, I'd definitely go body line. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, be around for the other one, so I've seen a bit of those. That's um, right. That's uh, right. Definitely body line. I think that, that whole, that era of cricket, um, you know, how the world was at the time as well, um, you know, the world was a different place. Um, and I think it just would have been fascinating. Bradman was so far ahead of anyone else at that time. Um, and to just be in and around that, would it, just to fly on the wall there would have been absolutely fascinating. Oh, gee, which one? Be you? Uh, it'd be a short series, but it'd be just uh, day one of the Edgebaston test from start to finish. Um, we can't go into it too much, but you know it all went wrong from McGrath stepping on the ball to, and then the, to, toss. The, meeting, to the meeting at the Melmaison in the evening where Shane Warne was quite vocal and uh, Stuart McGill was quite vocal. Um, <laughs> you know, some things just have to stay inside the walls, but uh, it would have been an epic uh, day's viewing for anyone. You've got me excited. I was going to go body line, but guess what? With 43% of the votes, they wanted what you're talking about, Hodgie. It was the 2005 Ashes series. Well, there you go. Which, oh. Sorry, both of you on there. Hey, boys, that's it for the uh, Bolology Report. Thanks for joining us here. Um, we want everyone to stay safe, isolate, and hopefully we can uh, get on top of this virus. What, between the next podcast, um, what are you boys going to be up to? At home. Not much for me, Flem. Just a lot of chores around the house. Just uh, that's probably about it. Not much. Des? Uh, well, I'm just going to go back to uh, to reading the Bible. So I'm just going to uh, 
I'll see you, see you guys later. Well, you go with the Dennis Silly autobiography. I'll go with the art of fast bowling, Dennis Silly. Let's podcast here. Thanks, boys. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.